Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is Liana Bird, radio presenter and a writer and actress and the co-founder of Help Refugees. She currently presents a show on Radio X on Friday and Saturday evenings and she's also previously been involved with Capital Radio, Virgin Radio and the BBC local radio service. She presents a weekly podcast as well called Geek Chic's Weird Science which was selected as iTunes Best of 2014. This year she released a book inspired by the podcast The Mice Who Sing for Sex it's called which is co-written with her podcast host Dr Jack. Liana is also the co-founder of Help Refugees which is a charity providing aid to refugees across Europe and beyond and it is amazing what this organisation has achieved in just over a year. Thanks so much again for tuning in every week and I hope you enjoy this episode. Here it is. very excited to be with Liana Bird, who I saw recently at Cheltenham Festival. That was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> really fun. That was my first time doing a, a literary festival. Me too, but and, a big um, one like that. Yeah, and it was nice to be up on the stage and have a, a, a couple of other women to discuss yeah. some, uh, some issues with. It was, really, it was really great. Thank yeah. you for having me. No, you're welcome. It was a good balance and it was, um, it was really interesting to talk to you and Ella Mills about what you're doing. There was kind of weird similarities there, weren't there? Which is strange because... We, if you think about it, actually, there's a lot of difference between what we do, and you wouldn't think there'd be much exactly. in common because Ella, obviously, famously fur cookbooks and her um, her cooking online and all the rest of it, um, and me with my science book, and yet somehow we actually had so much to talk yeah. about together. And yeah, you yeah. did. Because when I was writing out the questions, I was like, this, you know, this one question could be taken two different ways. Mm. So it relates to you both. I actually think also that Ella was much more positive about social media than I was. I felt a bit bad when we got off stage because I was sort of bringing like the doom and the gloom and the dark side of social media and Elle obviously, because she became, you know, she became known and successful via social media Yeah. and so she really brought much more of a positive side to it. So maybe that's I don't know, point. I thought it was a really, um, it's really good I think when people are honest about work-life balance and switching off and all, the, all of that stuff because mm. um, I think, oh, it's so easy to take it too far. So it's good to touch on that. But the massive positive that we couldn't ignore was the fact that you had launched this amazing charity using Twitter. So I felt like that was your big positive. So you were allowed to talk about the other bits as well. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, it, was, it has been an amazing year. You know, we, we started Help Refugees just over a year ago. Um, it was um, myself and a couple of friends, including um, Dorno Porter, who's actually been a guest yeah, with you before, and I think spoke about how refugees as well. Yeah, then. She did, yeah. And when we started, you know, we really just wanted to raise a thousand pounds. That was our aim, and to bring maybe a van load of goods over to Calais. And we just promoted it on social media. We made a hashtag. We hired a storeroom, and we just sort of tweeted the address and Instagram the address, and said, you know, send your stuff here. And we set up an Amazon wish list and um, said, you know, buy new stuff here if you don't have stuff already, and it'll just automatically send to your storeroom. And we didn't expect much response at all. You know, we wanted to help as much as we could in Calais and that was our aim yeah. and we thought it would be done within a week and um, a week later we had £56,000 and 7,000 packages arriving every single day um, and so we suddenly had to like ramp up the operation and I think what was so amazing and what is amazing about social media is that you just suddenly have this incredible way of tapping into people who have this similar mindset of, as, as you so yeah. At that point, I actually lost a little bit of faith in humanity a bit and in the British public, as perhaps other people have recently. You know, you read the papers and you see what's going on politically in our country and, and you can lose a bit of hope sometimes, but actually there are so many people out there who are really compassionate and really want to help and will put their own lives on hold or make sacrifices, whether it's to volunteer or whether it's to donate something, to give money or goods or whatever it might be. 
and we just gave people a kind of a route. We were a bit like a conduit for people to to tap in and to have direct action and to help the refugees initially in Calais and now we work all across Europe and also in Lebanon and um, help a bit in Syria as well and Turkey and, and people were just really hungry for that opportunity to help yeah. so I think we kind of almost caught a wave and social media allowed us to do that because suddenly we had we had this, this access to you know millions of people who wanted to help in a massive way with the Amazon wish list I remember it all happened was that a year ago so or? so we started I think at the beginning of September last year and then I think a few days later Ilan Kurdi died and this was the very mm-hmm. small boy who whose body was found on the beach and this really upsetting photo went around the world and suddenly I think people woke up and said my god he looks just like my child sleeping or you know my brother or little brother or sister or whatever else and people just suddenly understood the sort of human tragedy that was going on here and this was really happening um, and that definitely had an effect in terms of the, you know the amount of donations we had the amount of people wanted to volunteer you know people we had friends in bands saying what can we do can we do a gig I think that really um, hit people quite hard here um, do you think as well that social media gives people like um, you can't hide away from your conscience mm-hmm. you know like you can't see a tweet and you can't see something like that and ignore it yeah or make because you know before without maybe without social media you, you're watching the news and you can't you could switch it off I think I think yeah I think the danger as well with social media is sometimes you can just like like something like right. or just write a bit of a platitude and say and you know oh, this is awful sad face little tear running down this emoji face and then you feel like you've sort of done your bit or you know you online sign a petition and you feel like you've done your, your bit and, and that and that of course is important you know it's important for the conversation to keep going but what surprised me was that people would be inspired by what they were seeing on, on social media but then they'd actually turn that into not just a post but into actual action you made it very easy for people to get yeah. involved like that's something on Amazon yeah you know, it takes five seconds well this is the thing you know and this is actually a credit to my sister here because this was her idea and you know and we, we set it up together and she you know it was just we were saying you know what if people don't have an, a second hand sleeping bag to donate what if they want to spend 20 quid on a new sleeping bag and also what was nice about that is rather than saying we're a charity give us 20 quid you know lots of charities you can give 20 quid to and you've no idea what that money's going on you know they have big corporate structures they have a lot of costs Whereas actually, if you're buying a physical sleeping bag off an Amazon wish list, you know that that will go. And actually now we don't use Amazon anymore. We use an organisation called Leisure Fair. We stopped using Amazon quite soon. Mm. We felt that maybe ethically we ought to not use them. And also they didn't deliver to Calais. And once we set up a warehouse, because we had so much stuff, and then we went to Calais and we were like, we need to get a warehouse. There's no one here doing that. There's no distribution, like proper system. Um, and these amazing people from our, uh, who'd come to volunteer in the storage unit called Philly and Nico were like, we will, you know, we'd only known them for like a week or two. And they said, we will move to Calais and we will start the volunteer program, the built the shelter build program, and we'll be your, you know, your the Calais team. Um, and they did the most incredible job. You know, they literally packed up, left, moved to Calais. Um, you know, and we got the keys to this huge warehouse with our partner sister organization and you know it was so overwhelming and then after two days I think it was um, a couple of days anyway we all got to go back to London and continue fundraising and all the rest of it and the two of them stayed and you know volunteers who wanted to come we set up a system that they could go through and 
job roles started to develop and systems started to be put in place and it was really collaborative and it was such a grassroots effort because it was I think we've had a total of about 10,000 volunteers now since it began and every person who came brought something else and brought a bit of information and also the refugees themselves you know it was really important for us to listen to them and not say we have a system that we know works because we didn't know that's the truth you know I'm a radio DJ Um, Josie who was the other co-founder was working in music management you know we didn't have that experience fully worked running a, a festival clothing company you know we've all had hardly any experience so we were we none of us thought we knew best basically and we didn't and so if someone in the camp who was a camp resident who said you know actually you guys are doing this wrong or this is not how we want you to be doing it or this is this is not dignified for us and we want to be more engaged in our own care we listened to that and we changed the systems and i think that's why it had nothing to compare it to yeah and it and it just meant it was responsive to people's needs so oh my god and like from that all happening it's moved on so much hasn't mm. it it's it's just taken like on a life of its own absolutely i mean we now work i think it's across 22 camps um mostly in mainland greece where we've now got another warehouse where we've opened up there and we also support search and rescue on the greek islands um we do educational programs we just sent a medical unit out um, which we do a few programs in Turkey. We've sent two ambulances to Syria for the white helmets. We've just got a new program, education, um, that we're supporting in Lebanon. So there's a huge amount. And actually, um, you know, from what started out as a hashtag, we ended up raising over £2 million wow. in a year. And, you know, we didn't have support from the governments. We didn't have huge trust funds coming and giving us big grants. And there was no strings attached to anything. It was all from the word spreading and people just going it does give you faith yeah and people giving you know you can give a pound you can put a gig on and raise a hundred quid whatever it might be it's just it's a mass movement you know of compassion and it's really contagious actually yeah it's crazy the um the two extremes really to the response like I saw um, Lily Allen went out and that documentary came was it a documentary or was just, it was a video that came out she actually came with us and Josie yeah. yeah Josie um, took her out there um, and it was really it was I mean it wasn't all that surprising I suppose but it was really interesting to see how it divided people mm. afterwards and I actually read a really interesting article from someone saying the nation is divided into two tribes now which is quite sad actually and it's the kind of Gary Lineker and Lily Allen supporting drive and then it's the absolutely furious with foreigners and you know immigrants and and the Katie Hopkins tribe basically and that's the kind of split in our country and the division seems greater than ever Mm. and I noticed that on social media you know the tweets we get on help refugees um, feed is either the most loving beautiful amazing compassionate you know people saying I you know can I offer my home to one of the unaccompanied minors you know what can I do I'm a doctor can I go out and then on the other hand, like the most abhorrent, disgusting mm. things, you know, talking about, you know, uh, really racist stuff, but also about like physical harm that they'd like to do to the children and to the women, you know, really abhorrent stuff. And you just see the split and it's, I don't know whether it's, it's always weird. been there and now it's yeah. more transparent. But I mean, I feel like, you know, it's ama- like it's great that she went out there and um, just the, the platform that it mm. gave for her to then have to like reply to people yeah. on Twitter and justify things. I just felt like, oh. What? You know what though? I think, you know, all credit to Lily because she knew more than the rest of us that, that she was likely to get a backlash from this. You know, we have taken quite a lot of high-profile people out there, and they may have got a little stick from some people, but generally there's a supportive feeling towards them. And I think she 
you know, we asked her to come. And the reason we asked her to come is because with the demolition of Calais coming up, well, it's, it's obviously happened now, but, you know, at that point it was coming up so soon, it was so imminent. And the unaccompanied minors, of which there were over a thousand, um, had had no kind of information, and we had no information about what would happen to them. So there was a serious issue here. We had all these children, don't know where they're going. Their homes are going to be destroyed in a camp. Some of them have family in the UK that they would not be able to come to because they might get sent to Lille or whoever else, and we would lose touch with them. And they're in the middle of a case to bring them over. So it was a real issue, and the media weren't really talking about this issue. And we've been campaigning all year, you know, in particular, Josie and Jess from our team and, you know, the rest of the team as well, of course. But we've been working so closely with some incredible politicians, Stella Creasy and Yvette Cooper and with Lord Dubs, Alf Dubs himself on this Dubs Amendment to bring these unaccompanied children who are so vulnerable and they and they so need our help under um, Dubs Amendment, which is, which is similar to what he was brought over under kinder transport, right, and saved his life. And we've been working so hard for it and it looked like, you know, all these children could be lost. And so we were so desperate for to pay attention to this and to put some pressure also on our governments to take action. And Lily agreed to come and she knew, because she, you know, she's a smart girl, you know, she, she's a smart woman, she's not, she knew that two things would happen. Number one, it would get this issue a lot of attention, but number two, she would probably be in the line for it and, you know, she would get a lot of slack for it. Um, but she still chose to come because, you know, she felt the issue was important enough. So I really respect her for that and I think she was the least surprised of all of us at the backlash that she got. But what I found most shocking was that people were, after the film was shown, which I found really like upsetting to watch, and I know that people took issue with the line she said, I think she said, I, I apologise on behalf of Britain. Um, but, you know, I've brought so many people to meet unaccompanied children there, and I, they all apologise on behalf of their country because you feel terrible. And th- these children have relatives in our country that are unaccompanied children, and they should be allowed here, and we're not allowing them here. And whatever stance you take, you know, politically or, or geographically, like we, as a country, we have contributed in some way to what whether whether we are, you know, to blame or not. Like who cares? That's not the point. We have contributed. We've all contributed. We are all global citizens, and, and Britain has contributed to what has happened in a lot of these countries. So we've played a we've played a part. Of course, there's other things that have played a part too. You can't, you know, no one's trying to just say Britain's a part. But what she said was taken so, you know, away from it. And what I found the most shocking was that people were less outraged that there were unaccompanied children living in a muddy field alone than they were that Lily Allen cared about it and apologised for it. But it's like, where's the proportion? Like, what's more shocking to you that a celebrity singer who, you know, is, is talking about it and is upset and has pissed you off by apologising? Or that there's all these children, there's over a thousand living in a field. Like, why was that not a shock horror, like front cover, front pages? You know, living in France, one of the richest countries in the world. Why is that the thing people are outraged by and angry about? And that's what I found upsetting. I don't know. I just I understand people. You know, they want to take issue with Lily Allen. Fine, she's big enough, strong enough, and wise enough to deal with it. Yeah. But where was the outrage about the children? It was almost got lost. That message got lost yeah. and swallowed up, and that was quite so yeah. weird. Because I, I read something uh, like there's a video on the Guardian. I didn't actually get around to watching it, but I've saved it on my computer. It said it's it's called like you know, we need to do what we did in 1945 mm-hmm. and accept the refugees. But people are saying, like, there's an older generation who were nostalgic for the war, who mm-hmm. were like, when we let the refugees in, like, yeah. wasn't it a great time? And yeah, then it's it was, like, well, but, why not now? But, you know, we have Nicholas Winton on a stamp, you know, a British stamp, and we say, look at Nicholas Winton, you know, and he rescued refugee children. And our country is proud of that. And we, you know, yeah. we, we wear that as a badge of honour. And why now is compassion seen as a as a negative thing or a weakness um 
you know, it, it's troubling, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but um, on to you, personally, um, this is so much work and, you know, you're a very busy person, especially mm. if you've just written a book and you have a lot of other projects going on. How, what, what, what is a day like for you? Or is it totally different every day? Or? It's completely different. I mean, um, this last year, you know, it was juggling health refugees, um, which is different actually within itself every day. Like at one point I was working on a campaign called Refugees where we were filming um, high profile people from different backgrounds who themselves were either refugees when they were younger or their parents or their grandparents were. Um, That's amazing, Matt. Yeah, we had amazing, we had Jamie Cullen, Rita Ora, Lord Richard Rogers, um, Ben Elton, all sorts of people, and saying, you know, we've got refugees and we've helped make Britain great, or, you know, that was the message behind yeah. it anyway. Um, so that was, you know, at one point that was more working on film and editing and social media strategy. And, and then on the other hand, you know, there'd be times when I was in Calais, um, you know, it's just every day was so different. And then obviously I've got my radio show. So that's actually last week started to just do Fridays just because doing Fridays and Saturday nights and all the week working was just getting a bit much. What but are the hours? So it's 10 to 1. Oh, right. I've moved, I've shifted around a lot since I've been there, but yeah, finishing at 1 o'clock in the morning on Friday and Saturday. It's a really fun show and I love it and I love my listeners and it's great to play party tunes and dance yeah. about on a Friday and Saturday night and people going out coming in, but it just became a bit much. Um, and then obviously the, the book, it was, you know, juggling, juggling that as well, um, which was a lot of work because we decided to try and turn it around in four months. No way. Mm. I didn't know that. So we had this podcast. Geek Chic's Weird Science, which we've been doing for nearly three years now. And so we had a lot of the material already because every week we basically pick through the science news, but the kind of more fun, lighter side of science. So it might be one week, you know, why, does, why do sharks like heavy metal? Because there's been new research that says that when you play them ACDC, they react really well. And it, you know, it's all to do with actually the, the, the low bassy sounds mimicking the sounds of little fish thrashing around. So you know, there's scientific um, factual uh, info behind it, but it's also a lot of fun and you can talk about ACDC then. Yeah. Um, or we'll talk about like, is red wine actually really good for you? We'll look at the latest research of that. So looking through the science news and finding the fun the funner stories yeah. um, so we had a lot of the we had a lot of the material there already we obviously added new stuff but we thought it would be a doddle to turn that into a book and you know as you know yeah. you've book too. Yeah. it's not quite as simple as that and also once you've handed the book in it's like you think you're like yes book handed in and then they're like now you need to do the next edit and then the next edit and yeah. then you're like oh and actually because there were two of us because I wrote it with my co-presenter on the, the podcast Dr Jack Lewis um, you know we had to edit each other's work and go back and forth back and forth and you know argue over words and sentences and you know yeah. fight, fight to keep your word in and then he'd want to keep his you know and of course you've got two people's different opinions so that was that was um, oh, that's challenging. interesting I was going to ask you about that collaboration actually because you, you don't know whether it's just kind of straight down the middle like you do your bit you do your bit we won't touch each other's bits no not at all because we really wanted it to be a unified voice yeah so we we kind of changed it up and it, you know it's great on the one hand working with a co-author because you've got that person all the time to bounce off and to give yeah, opinion. And Jack's great crazy you know. on your own just yeah and Jack's you know Jack's brilliant and we get on so well but we you know what's tough is that we would we would say okay you lead on this chapter and you write it and then send it to me so I'd write a chapter so I think there's one of the chapters called like Psycho Killer in our book which I should probably say is called The Mice Who Sing for Sex and Other Weird Tales from the World of Science. Um, but there's a chapter in it called Psycho Killer, which is all about, like, are zombies real and talking about insect zombies and who is who was Jack the Ripper, what's the scientific evidence to that. So I would, like, pretty much write most of those stories. But then I'd send them to Jack and he would, like, 
edit it. So he'd add things, he'd take things away, he'd add in echoes. And, and you know, by the time it came back to me, it, it was our two voices. But then I'd look at it and go, well, no, I've lost that. So what's happened to that sentence? That was really funny, that bit. What are you doing? And he'd be like, that wasn't funny, that was cheesy. And I'd be like, no, that's really funny. <laughs> and then you'd have to, like, decide who's yeah. right. And it's two voices and who is right. You, you know, it's, it's all a matter of opinion and subjective. So, so you'd like two round. So you had editing each other, and then did you have another editor as no, well? No, we edited each other about five or six times. Oh so each, each story went back and forth about five or six times. And then we changed tack. So then after a while of doing that, we decided that actually, because I, because in the podcast, he provides more of the, like the scientific, like kind of the heavyweight stuff. And then the real, not, not heavyweight, but like the real like info. Because he's, you know, he's a scientist and he obviously knows, you know, I'm, I studied experimental psychology at university, but he obviously is a practicing um, scientist and he is a doctor. So um, he provided more of the kind of scientific, like, the real nitty gritty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I would kind of top and tail it and make it more accessible. Like, so we talk about like a new study into attraction, and then I'd be like, oh, so how would that affect someone on Tinder? So it's kind of Love that's that. how I balance it. So we said let's write like that. So I would write the intro and the outro, and he would write the middle bit with the science. Yeah. But again, then we'd go back and forth, back and forth, and we'd merge, try and merge voices right. as much. That's as possible. really cool. I've never heard of that. Like, I've never heard that pro- process before of kind of yeah merging two voices <laughs> into one. <laughs> but I'll tell you by the end. So then when we had it in, we were like, yes, I did it. And then they were like, now you just do an introduction. And we were so tired of the back and forth students. We were like, you know what? Let's just write our own introduction. So in the book, there's like, Diana's introduction and Jack's introduction. And I don't know whether that's, that's nice. like, I don't know. I don't know whether that was the right thing to do or not. But actually, you know, we were like, I think it was just like, okay, enough of trying to go back and forth five times. And then have to, like you said, then go yeah. through the editor and then the, the next editor. And So I'm quite into like the cadence of words like the, like the way a sentence sounds and the kind of the way it lilts and goes up and down yeah. so there might be a sentence that then someone would add something that would make it in a way more scientifically sound or a better sentence but I'd be like it's lost its rhythm and I kind of I think because and you, maybe you've got the same thing because I've done radio for so long and then podcasting I write how I speak yes and so if something, if I read a sentence and it doesn't sound natural to say, to speak, and it doesn't have that kind of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, yeah. like, I, to me, that's, that's written wrong. Yeah. Well, you I don't want it to be, like, boring, short sentences. Yeah. Because then they'll fall asleep. Also, I would record myself into my iPhone and read it out. Because yeah. when you've got a voice, it's quite, mm. you know, you know yourself really well. Didn't do that one. Maybe, maybe for the next, next, next book. Yeah, <laughs> no, I love the book. And are you having fun promoting it and all the rest of it? Yeah, well, the most fun I had, of course, was at the Chess um, yeah. Festival. That was with so you. fun when we were signing our books together. On the I table. know, because I didn't actually realise they'd have my book there. And then we went to the little Waterstones pop up and they had yeah. our books next to each other. And we did a signing, but I think I only signed like three copies. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. most people were there for you and Ella. I was like, this isn't no, you want me to go I, sign Ella definitely, definitely had more people queuing up for her, but you know, it's fine. It was a first. I think Ella sold what was her, like, the fastest cookbook sold in the history of the world yeah. ever. And like, there I was with my newbie book, like, just that Thursday so oh, I think people like gave me like the, the charity sympathy <laughs> so they were like oh, okay you can sign one or I can sign you become lonely and sad on the end there so. it is nice though how people at book festivals do get involved in, and they'll see a talk and they will actually go and like hit, see the book yeah. even if they don't buy it they just you know have a look yeah no, um, just, and we actually we put out one of the stories from the, we picked out a couple of the stories so there's there's a chapter in, in there about um, it's called Let's Talk About Sex Baby and it's all about like the weirdest strangest sex science um, things like you know can you have sex in 
space or also like biological sex and so like womb transplants and amazing stuff like that but there's one that I start, we started the, the chapter off by talking about like the strange history of sex and there's some weird and wacky stuff that our ancestors start, oh, did really? like really odd bizarre like men who used to transplant monkey testicles into their balls because they felt that it gave them like <gasps> a boost a little, like to their libido um, so oh um, so weird stuff like that and also just um, like strange myths about women's bodies so like all the weird bizarre stuff men basically used yeah. to think about women's bodies like the fact that we were just inverted men and if we overheated and got excited we would spontaneously turn back into men which is the whole kind of like calm down dear oh you know, William, don't get oh, William would pop out yeah you're like, don't, don't be too excited darling or you'll turn into a guy and you know that's <laughs> probably to like keep keep women just like on, yeah, you know like, keep, keep quiet yeah, 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 like, yeah. You, if you get too excited you will turn into a man which actually if I was a woman back in those days I, I might yeah. be like well I will turn into a man and then I can tell you what to do but also yeah like weird stuff like but you know when you've got your period that you couldn't ride an elephant like just the strangest oh my God. and we found this old like sex manual from like baroque times and it was like they they got up some saucy stuff back then it was really it was it was, it was a, an education that's so. crazy but I went to a musical recently about the history of a dildo and I, and I like and all of that stuff apparently had been erased from history because yeah. people who were like hey I want to write about dildos like back in the day would get fired from their jobs because they'd be like you're mentally ill if you want to talk about women's vaginas it's like that's not a bad thing to talk well, about you know, I think it was in the 18th century, they used to treat hysteria, um, so they thought hysteria was like they'd a medical go, condition, and they would treat them with, basically, with dildos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And they, they, they basically think that a woman was hysterical because she had an orgasm, and yeah. therefore doctors would, would give them an orgasm. Yes, yeah. yeah. That, that was, that was in, <laughs> actually in the musical. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting. But yeah, we sent, we sent a few, we picked a few of those stories out, so I think we picked the shot, Loving Heavy Metal one, and, and we sent that out, and that got picked up quite nicely. Yeah. The press and people started. Yeah. So that was quite fun to kind of pick out those little gems from the book and send them out that was quite yeah there's no real like one um audience like demographic is there it's for everyone right i I think perfect christmas present the book yeah oh yeah for everyone i can't really think of like it's funny because so my boyfriend did the cover and it's i think it's absolutely beautiful it's based on illustrations throughout yeah well the illustrations were done by another guy called matt please but because the colors are really bright and like it's a lot it's a really fun cover yeah and it stands out a lot of people said to me like oh is it a book for kids because it's it's you know it's got a sort of fun mice singing to each other even though it's got the word sex in the title but anyway um and then on the other hand so I think it kind of appeals to sort of perhaps younger people who are learning about science but want to see the life side of it maybe 15 16 year olds but on the other hand my dad loves it he's 70 years old and he likes science and he loves you know he's always been like a massive science lover and he's like yes science is fun and he loves listening to the podcast he loves the book um, and then on the other hand, I think is it a studenty book that you could just have around? And I think actually it's a really good toilet book. Yeah. Because there's lots of little fun facts in it, and you can just read it when you're in the loo. Yeah. And then and come up and have conversation. Exactly. Oh my god! Imagine being at a dinner party, going into the toilet, and then being like, "Did you know?" And coming out and going, "When women were hysterical, they used to have orgasms." Yes. <laughs> so talking of science and talking of tech, is there anything? You know, like I'm watching Black Mirror at the moment. Yeah. Is there anything that you think is gonna gonna come soon like I think um, Shazam for for people is going to happen I don't like the idea I don't like that it might happen but the idea that you know at the moment your influence online does actually go quite far Mm. in the world I think um, I don't know I find the world of like robotics and I suppose like the cyber world quite interesting and I think it'll be interesting to see you know obviously we do a lot of dating now online or 
or single people do, I should say I do, because my boyfriend will be like, what are you talking about? We do. Um, but, you know, Tinder, and it's interesting, like, where will that go? Like, will you start having online sex? And um, will you start having, like, online marriages that you've never met the person, but you're, like, married? So, like, I don't know where that will go. And certainly in the world of robotics, that's a possibility. They think by 2050, people will be marrying robots. So that was my prediction anyway. Um, and they are already having sex with them, we see, as we know. Yeah. Um, so I think that could be interesting. But I also think that we could have like a reaction to the amount that we are living in online and on our phones and on social media and how much data has become more important in a way than physical things. And actually we may like have a revolution against that and, you know, I don't know, all be pushed away from the internet and actually go back to a physical I mean maybe that's my pipe dream yeah, <laughs> a little that's bit. my dream um, you know I mean, we've seen it with music right and the loss of vinyl and um, yeah. I mean, it had a resurgence though right so maybe that might start happening in other areas and people will have a kind of reaction in yeah. a way and want to start getting notebooks out and writing notes again rather than I doing them on their phone so. <laughs> also I hope that in the future people don't bring their phones to gigs Mm. I, I don't know why that yeah. does annoy me a little bit. Well, I think safe spaces in anything. a way, like, I think, you know, when you have dinner, like, having, like, no phone with dinner with your friends is nice. And I think that might be the, nice to do at festivals and gigs. I think, like, the whole experiential side of the world being seen through the phones is a shame. And it can be amazing from one hand connected people, but I think when you, see, when you sit at a gig, like you said, and you see someone just watching it through that, and just yeah. so annoying when they're holding it up in front of you. Yeah, and, and um, bring the, their iPad to a, a, yeah. a gig. Oh God, the iPad doesn't do anything. That actually happened to me. It was like an acoustic um, gig, and I and I, I was just having the best time. And then this iPad was in front of me. But also, I feel like. Do you, do you think anyone posts it and watches it again? Do you think there's no. people with iPads ever watch that again? I Maybe they're scared of the moment being fleeting. Yeah, or no, I just think they want to like go to the I was here. But there's bands like yeah, 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 yeah now don't allow it. So that's, oh, like, that's good. Like Karen O will go no phones. And I think Prince even said it. I saw him at the Roundhouse, and I think he was like, "Come on, man, be cool. Like, oh. don't uh, don't use a phone or something." Like I that. would and not I touch my phone if I, if I'd have been. Oh, you know what? It's just, I was sitting behind Bob Geldof, and I think and this is a true story. Gosh, I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> I, When we were watching Prince, I think he tried to take a photo, and you've been told not to take photos, and he tried to take a photo, and then security tried to get him to leave, and we were all like, no, 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 you can't, it's Bob Geldof, you can't have to leave. And then the security guy just didn't know who he was, and was like, no, you have to leave. And we were like, no, he's like an ambassador for the roundhouse, he's like, probably played here, like, and it was it was quite funny. Oh actually. my God, that's so funny. So okay. you really can't take photos <laughs> yeah. at Prince's gig, even if you're Bob Geldof. Wow, I love that. <laughs> I actually do love that. Because I think, I don't know if our memories act differently when it's through a phone, but I know that if I'm taking loads of photos on holiday and I come home I feel like I wasn't there yeah. sometimes and it's really and sad and you don't like you look at a load of them and you're just like oh that mountain like looks shit now and I'm looking <laughs> at it and like that sunset you don't yeah. really want it whereas when you used to like have to on your camera take a photo you had to pick something really special and then you'd maybe take it and that would be something you'd print and put in an album later yeah but you'd but you'd have to take it in first and then go and get your yeah, yeah because exactly. you had to think about it because you couldn't just click 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 and hope something was good you'd have yeah. to see something and go this is worth me wasting one of my photos of film exactly. on exactly you, know, you don't want to it was expensive you stuff. can't take 87 selfies yeah and you've got to develop it and all, exactly you are so wonderful thank you and um I hope every single person listening to this podcast now gets involved. Thank you so much, Emma. And I'm not wonderful at all, honestly. It's the teams, the teams out there on the ground, they've sacrificed their lives to go and work on the front line who are amazing. But thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. If you like this episode, please remember to leave a review or a rating on iTunes. It would mean so much to me. Also, um, tweet me. I'd love to hear your feedback. 
so thanks so much again for listening and make sure you tune in next week